Okay, yeah, so uh, the topic for tonight is uh, the Bible and culture wars. And I, I realise this is something that I'm really interested in. It's kind of like I didn't do sociology at university, I did maths, but uh, I'm, I'm very, it's a subject that I'm very interested in. But I don't know if, if you, your group, this group here, is, is kind of um, similar to a group of friends that I have who, if you talk to them about culture wars, they don't really know what you're talking about until you go into some individual things and they surprise themselves with... Um, what strong opinions they might, might have about one or two of those things. But uh, I just wondered kind of what we've got in the group here, whether, um, whether you would understand something by, cult, uh, if I say, a, a culture war, uh, whether it's important to you, uh, whether you're just curious and you wanted to know more, uh, or, or whether this is something that's actually um, something that, that is part of your life um, every day and you're noticing changes. So, well, let's see where we are. Who's, who's here because they're kind of curious? And Okay. Wow. Okay, who's, who's here? Who? That's fine, Pauline. No? And, and who's here because culture, culture wars are really important to them, that it actually affects them? Okay, Kev. All right. So, um, so, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, what we've got today is there's, there's quite a lot of... Um, I've try, tried to really think hard about how I could make these things understandable um, for, for someone who doesn't think about it a lot. So if I haven't explained it well, um, please ask. This can be a really interactive session. Ask questions as we go through. I certainly don't know all the answers, but it's something that interests me a lot. Uh, so anyway, here we go. So what is a culture war? So I guess you probably don't know if it's not, not what you think, what you think it, about it. Between different religions? Oh, uh, not religions per se. I suppose it could be. Or faiths. It could be, Ron, but not in, to, not in today's culture. It's not really... Culture wars is only really a, a, a phrase. People would say a word, but it's really kind of two words, isn't it? That, that has come in the last maybe ten years. It's a lot of the words and phrases that we'll be using today have really only come in, in into existence in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. We'll be looking at some of the dictionaries' words of the year and shortlisted words of the year, and there'll be a whole load of phrases that I'll put up that relate to culture wars later on that you none of us would have been using 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago. Language is evolving so quickly. The meaning of different things are evolving so quickly, and it's all reflective of changes in society. So, you were kind of there, Ron. I mean, what's a cultural war? Is it like conflict between any groups? Yes. Could, like domination? Good. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that is absolutely perfect. Here we go. Oh, okay. So, social group conflict for dominance of values, belief and behaviours. Okay, so it's any, any particular group who has a particular thought set, uh, mindset, way of behaving, ideology, and the idea is that that group then starts to want to be the dominant group where they want their, view, their views to be the predominant ones, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it, if we use that as a definition, what kind of things going on in the world today do you think would, uh, would be a culture war? Well, so, it's going to be the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, yes, but that, wouldn't, that would be more sort of classical, Ron, if you like, rather than an actual... Uh, it's not so much a social group, that's more of a people group um, involved in an ongoing historic disagreement about the same thing. It's not something new sociologically. I mean, give me, let me give you one. If I give you one, and then you might um, think of some others. So this is basically 
what we've got is two, two people or two groups of people shouting at each other from a distance, uh, holding almost polar opposite views in some cases. So that would be a classic one, wouldn't it? <coughs> You've got the Brexiteers and Remainers. So do, do you remember there was a whole bunch of, um, unfortunately, very low intellectual debate on that and a whole load of name-calling from one side to the other side, if you remember that. So if, if we think about that as being a culture war, um, it's largely over now, isn't it, that one, but you, it's relevant enough for you to get the idea. What other things do you think could be cultural wars? Yes, some political views, definitely. What would be the two... If I were to say uh, liberal, what would be the opposite political view to liberal? Conservative. It, it would be in this country, but it's, there's another name for it. Radical. Not radical, it's, it begins with P. Um, it's, it's, again, it's a word coming in the last five years. Oh. Populist. Populist, yes. So you have this. Have you, have you heard of populism? Yeah. That's kind of something that, that's that's around now. So it, it, liberal and conservatives, you would have been classic or Labour conservatives, but today it's really more of a, a of an ideology set. So um, if you were to take that, uh, you know, a liberal view would definitely be more like. Oh, we'll come back to it. We'll come back. To it. Let's go. So let's go. Those two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Quite a lot of. Again, sort of standing on completely different viewpoints, kind of very strong arguments. Um, both sides are definitely not wrong. Trans rights, women's rights. Okay, we could talk about this one a, a, a little bit later. What have we got, got going on here? Uh, if we take what's going on in Scotland, for example, um, Scotland are doing what's called the Gender Recognition Act, uh, and they're trying to change the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland, whereby you can basically change your gender. Um, so I'm a, I am my, my biological sex is man. Judy would be a woman. Um, but if my gender would be male or female, but I could be a biological man but declare myself to be female. Um, so in, in Scotland, for example, they're thinking about changing the Gender Recognition Act so that I... Um, a biological man could declare myself to be a woman just by saying so. So without having going through a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, without going through any kind of medical procedure or any kind of consultancy, I can declare myself to be a man. Uh, and I can therefore, I could, not a man, sorry, a woman. Sorry, a woman. <laughs> I could declare myself to be a woman. I could declare myself to be a woman just by saying so. And there were, I would entitle myself to trans rights. Uh, and then quite understandably in Scotland, there are a number of women who are complaining about this because they want safe spaces uh, for women. And they're saying, all these years we fought for women's rights. What is the point of fighting for women's rights if we can't even define a woman now? So that would be, you know, an example. Would he feminine comment on that? No. No, I'd, n no. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, no, that's a different thing. You could be, I could be a man and an effeminate male, which is different from being a man saying that my gender was female. It's, it's a, this is a rabbit warren. We could go down there, but I'll try and, try and avoid it for now. Um, okay, woke and anti-woke. So we know what woke means. You hear it a lot. No, wow, even the young people. Sheesh, okay. Woke. Um, no, let me get... Oh, I didn't got my phone. Okay, 
that I've, I've, got a, I've got a quote from, uh, uh, it's on my phone, it's in the car, sadly, but um, it, one way of thinking about woke, the two different ways of thinking about it today, one way of thinking about woke is a kind of an increased awareness of um, racial discrepancies and social injustice. Okay? That's one way of looking at woke. Um, and that's the way that a liberal person would look at woke. If you're a populist person looking at woke, um, woke would be um, the sacralization, so in other words, the making sacred of sexuality, gender, and race. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. Just, okay. Please stop me if you... If you but these are words that you're going to hear... If you, you see them in the paper almost every day, this stuff. Um, populism, liberalism, what else have I got? Climate change activist, climate change denier. Okay, there's a, that's another one, isn't it, where you'd see quite sort of very polarised views. So these would be examples of culture wars. Right. Please jump in with questions at any time. So... Why is it important that we understand today's culture? It's so diverse. It's diverse, yes. Um, and you like polarises certain groups and, and then it does the other thing. <laughs> to other groups, it, it's, um, oh, what's the word? It leaves them out. Yeah, I mean, it's... Arguments or discussions that really needs to be involved with everybody rather than... Yes. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good, good point, Ron. I haven't got it here, but it is a good point. So, for example, um, I, I always find it s slightly strange that when you want to talk about misogyny, for example, which is uh, men hating women, if you talk about misogyny, um, does anyone know what the, other, what the opposite word is, by the way, women hating men, because there is a word? Yeah, there is one. Misandry. Is that a relatively new word in the dictionary? Because years ago, someone told me there wasn't one. There is one. There is one. Um, so, um, so where was I? Yeah, where was I? I was talking about um, misogyny, wasn't I? I lost. That's where you were up to. Yeah, I just lost. I just lost my train of thought. You asked him why it's important to understand. Yeah, why it's important? Because if, for example, you were talking about misogyny. Um, it, you wouldn't really want only women in the room talking about that because nothing's ever going to change unless a man's in the room. Does, does that make sense? Um, okay. Um, what else? So that's yeah, that's good, Ron. So we've got this. We understand culture because what we're seeing at the moment is the middle ground, and it's the same is true in politics. You know, when I was in the city, every single twelve years ago, every single government in Europe was slightly left of centre. Every single one. And now look at what you've got. You've got quite big movements uh, left and right and a big sort of vacation in the middle. And that's part of what we're seeing going on in, uh, in our culture. Okay, let me just... Um, there are three reasons why I think it's important, particularly as a Christian. And here's the first one. Culture has the potential to contaminate you as a Christian, to get into you and change the way that you think and it also has the potential to grow thorns in your life. Okay, so let's just, uh, if you've got a Bible, if you could just grab that. If someone, some of you can go to James chapter 1, verse 27. And then someone goes to Luke 
chapter 8, verse 14. And, I, and if someone gets one of the pages, could they shout the page out, please, so that someone, everyone, we all can find it. So some would go to James chapter 1, verse 27. And there are a couple of pictures there of, of an oil tank, um, of an oil barrel leaking at the bottom of the sea, representing contamination. And then some weeds, or in this case, some quite nice flowers growing up in the wheat. Got page 1037. 1037. Or Luke chapter 8, 14. Okay. So somebody could somebody read the James verse, please. Versus James 1, verse 27, if you've got it. 1037, wasn't it? We'll put, uh, Pam, was it? 1037. Oh, I've got the Luke one. Yes, I've got the Luke one. 1037. Has anyone got James? Has anyone got the James passage? Yeah, I've got it. Okay. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay. Yep. Thank you. And then somebody with the uh, Luke 8.14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Okay, great, thanks. That's what culture can do to us. That culture can basically... Um, this, let's take, for example, when I used to lead, uh, I used to be in the um, group of young people, I think both Chloe and Sophia had the misfortune of being in the group when I was in it. Um, I asked, when I asked the young people um, if, if they had time to read the Bible, or do they read the Bible, and they all claimed to have no time uh, to read the Bible, and I asked them the same question, I said, how many hours do you think you waste on your phone every day? And the answer was probably two, or at least two. So it, that, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, um, it's that culture, you wouldn't have, wouldn't have said that 30 years ago, young people wouldn't be on the phone, oh, I wouldn't be on my phone. I, it's a temptation for me too, you know, my quiet time. I do have to kind of get some a bit of phone discipline if I want to uh, really kind of get serious with the Lord, okay? Next one. Um, and this is, this is what we're going to be developing on a little bit later. Culture can be a weapon of the devil who will tempt you to act as if you are God. And this culture that we're living in right now is the most tempting culture that I think has ever been with regard to us thinking that we're God. And we'll, we'll come on to why that is later. Okay, so um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, that's original sin. That's when the devil comes up to Eve and says, did God really say that if you eat of this fruit that you're going to die? You won't die, uh, you, but you will know good and evil and you will be like God. That, that was... Not, and, and I think what's happened now, it's not just a, we just don't want to be like God. We actually want to be God. And the first commandment in Exodus 3, uh, 20, verse 3, Hear, O Israel, is this, Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with, oh, no, sorry. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. In having no other gods before me, I think that God also meant us. That is the God that we're most likely to have before um, uh, the real God today. And our culture has got loads of different ways of tempting us to do that. Some of them are subtle. And we'll have a look at that later. 
So that's um, a picture of a guy who's, putting a, who's got a crown on his head. And then um, the third one is culture shapes the environment into which we share our faith. Okay, so somebody to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and shout the page out when you've got it, please. If you've got any questions, by the way, just jump in. One, two, one, nine. Thank you. Somebody read that, please. Chapter. Uh, it's um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Oh, Can somebody read that, please? But in your hearts, reveal Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Thank you. Okay, always be prepared to give... Uh, um, an answer to the reason for the hope you have. You may have heard of something called apologetics. Now, apologetics in Christian circles comes from this verse because the word for reason in Greek is apologia. So uh, apologetics is basically being able to reason your faith. You see, I think things have changed quite a lot in the last 10 years. And what we used to be able to do, I remember, was it 10, 15 years ago, the thing in church was to tell your testimony. Because your testimony is powerful, nobody can deny it, and that's what used to be said. The problem is, when we live, and you'll see, see later, in a pluralistic world where all views are equally valid, and we get this uh, idea of my truth and your truth, my lived experience, your lived experience, the danger with only trying to win someone to Jesus by just telling them what Jesus has done for you, it just becomes like another, well, that's fine for you, but that's true for you, but not true for me. That's the kind of culture you have... It, it's, it's moved. I remember being 10 or 15 years ago, the argument for the Bible was a circular one and a weak one. The, 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 the Bible is true because the Bible says so. That was basically how the argument used to go. You can't do that now. In fact, with lots of people, you can't even start in the Bible because they don't believe the Bible's true. You, you, you have no authority to go there until you've established a credibility for God even existing. So if you take me, for example, 10, 15 years ago, I was skeptical. I was I used to hate apologetics. What, what are we wasting our time defending God for? We don't need to de- defend God until I realised that as time was going on, I couldn't speak to people uh, about Jesus because they wouldn't let me use this. So I've had to change. So if you're not aware of what's going on in, cult- in culture, you're going to be stuck in a in, in a time past when we're not going to be able to communicate and relate to people who are struggling and they've moved with different things and have moved on to different issues and are listening to different voices. So that's why it's important for us to, um, to know what's going on around us. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how interesting this slide is going to be, but I'm going to try and make, my, make it as interesting as I can. So, so a little bit about the, uh, the, the cultural changes, the sociological changes that have been going on in society. And if we, if we go back to the, the 17th and 18th century, and I'm just going to float some ideas that, that have, people have had about 
you know, different things, different ideologies, some of which are still around today and, and are affecting society. So that's why I'm going to talk about them. So rationalism. So rationalism is the idea that everything, that reason is the most important thing. So it's to do with your mind. It's to do with your, it's, it's logical. Um, empiricism is, and, and so we have this age of great enlightenment, uh, which happened in Europe, didn't really happen in the UK, end of the 18th century, uh, start of the 19th century. Um, empiricism. Empiricism is that the only things that really matter are the things that we can observe with our senses. Uh, and so I think we had the, the scientific method came here, which was that um, something is only real or true if we can do an experiment on it and it can be repeatable and observable. Then we have naturalism. So naturalism is the idea that only the natural world exists. There's nothing spiritual. Uh, no spirits, no God, just the natural world. Then we have existentialism, which is quite sad, but I could see why people would come to this conclusion. Existentialism is the idea that, uh, if, if you read Ecclesiastes, that's a book, that is an existentialist book. Uh, uh, what does that mean? It means that you can, the only meaning, purpose and value that you have in your life is the meaning, purpose and value that you give, it, give to it yourself. Because at the end of the day, the sun comes up and the sun goes down and you don't make a blind bit of difference. And when you die, the sun will go up and the sun will come down. And so the, the, only, the only reason or value you can give your existence whilst you're here is you give it to yourself. That's existentialism. And, and, and we're coming on to that in a minute. And then we get this idea of modernism. So we're, we're coming much closer to now. I think modernism, probably 20th century, first half of the 20th century, was that everything in society could be improved if we only used modern methods. So it's the idea of kind of bringing everything up in the past you know, up to date, it was kind of exciting, kind of, there's some energy into this. So where, where, where were we very re until very recently? A thing called postmodernism. Has anyone ever, have, has anyone heard of that? Okay, that's, that's where we have been fairly recently. Politicians use those very They do, they do. And up, up until about 20 years ago, it was definitely the, some people would say we're still there, but I don't think we were, we moved way, way past there. Um, but there were a number of ideas that in postmodernism still exist today. So here, here's what they are. By the way, I can go super speedy if this is not particularly interesting. I just um, okay. So so in postmodernism, there's no objectivity that, and there's no absolutes. So in other words, there there literally isn't in any sphere black or white. There's only grey. Because like a shade. So there's no right or wrong. Uh, one is just a shade of the other. There's no truth, no absolute truth. Um, there's only relative truth. W w hopefully you can see the, the big flaw in that statement. Because to say there's no object objectivity or absolute, to say that there's no absolute is an absolute statement, isn't it? To say that you know there's absolutely no absolute truth is a kind of... But anyway, that's, 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 that's the truth of it. Um, there's also no grand narrative in postmodernism. So grand narrative is, is something which explains everything. So, um, so in postmodernism, so for example, we would believe that ultimately God explains everything. Um, but a postmodernist view would be that nothing, there is no, there's no grand narrative. Again, ironic, because the statement, there is no grand narrative, is itself a grand narrative. Um, then we have this idea of pluralism. So pluralism was actually a, quite a good idea. And you just see how far, how far we've come. 
with that pluralism has now almost been completely dropped. What's pluralism? Pluralism is the idea that, that all viewpoints have equal value, are equally valid, and should be listened to. So Pam could say, for example, that the Earth was flat. Well, probably not flat. Flat Earthers perhaps wouldn't get a... But you know what I mean. We could, we could have different views, uh, and even though they were completely different, Pam's view would be worth listening to because, um, because it was her view, and my view would be lis worth listening to. That's pluralism. Obviously, there were some issues with pluralism because all views don't have equal values. Some, some are completely false, and some are, uh, uh, and, and some are true. Um, but nevertheless, it was, it was quite a nice idea that we could all listen to each other and have different views. Um, and then the thing with postmodernism, though, was a little bit cynical. There was no trust of institutions, no trust of absolute truth. There's no, it's all relative. And so, therefore, I think it could be summed up as outside things can't be trusted, therefore, trust yourself. Okay, so it comes down to we're starting to think about us now. So, where are we? And this has happened in less than 20 years, and I, I, I'm not a sociologist. But I would say that the change that we've seen in society in the last 20 years is, is more in the last 20 years than has happened at any other period in history. And now, I, this is the period that I'm calling, it's, it's my name, it's not, not, just a way of describing something, it's not an official name. It, it, it's the, the idea of Homer Deus. Um, uh, there was a guy who wrote a book, a best-selling book called Homer Sapien. Um, and he, he wrote a book afterwards called Homo Deus. And the, the Latin translation for that is man-god. And I think what we've got now is this kind of um, period, Homo Deus, which is the rise of man as God. That's, that's, the, that's the world that we're living in now. So if you can just hang on to that idea. What I love about sociology is what I say only, is only going to be even remotely important if it resonates with you. So if what I'm saying you feel makes sense, it doesn't really matter if I have a degree in sociology. <laughs> it has value because it, it, it makes sense. So, okay, so the rise of man as God. So there's somebody putting a crown on the head, similar to what I had before. And, and it's this one here, which is, I've, um, I'm not really sure if you can really see it. It's a picture of, in Greek mythology, there was a god called Narcissus. And... Um, Narcissus was very attractive. He was a, a, a very attractive man, and he spurned the love and interests of anyone who showed any interest in him. They just weren't good enough for him. Until one day, he bent down and looked in a very still pond and saw a reflection of himself and fell in love. <laughs> He'd never seen something so beautiful as his own reflection. And so he stayed there looking at his own reflection until he withered away and died. And the flower that grew up in the spot where he died was the narcissist. The, and so this is where this word narcissistic comes from, this kind of self-centred, your admiration of your own beauty. And um, in a sense, in a small way, I think that it probably began, I don't want to be the one who blames social media for everything, but uh, social media, Facebook 2004... Twitter 2006, Instagram 2007. And you could argue that what's happened with all of those things on social media is that you've basically been invited to set up a shrine to yourself online at which you are inviting other people to come and worship. You're looking for, you're looking for 
likes you're looking for and you're presenting the very best view of yourself which is creating a lot of problems I think for some people because they know that that very best view of themselves is not what they're like when they wake up on a Monday morning um, okay so the most narcissistic generation ever uh, and then I want to do some of, some of these words of the years because words of the year are quite good for reflecting change in society they, they are if you get into a word of the year for these different dictionaries they are ones that they think are, have cultural significance uh, and so um, we've got selfie um, it was the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year in 2013. Okay, so so what so what have we got here? Is, is you know we come to a beautiful picture, we come to the we come to the Grand Canyon or something, and the Grand Canyon isn't interesting. It's only interesting if we're in it. You know, you know what I mean. And, or, or someone hands you hands you a picture, uh, and the first thing you look at to see if you're there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, perhaps not. That's an image. <laughs> uh, so um, and then we've got uh, post truth. Okay, so post-truth is a, a really interesting idea. Po- post-truth is that um, it doesn't... And this is, this is actually massive now. It started small, but it's now become huge. Post-truth... Does anyone know what post-truth is? Sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much. I should give you a chance to... Okay, post-truth is the idea... It doesn't really matter what the truth is. It matters how I feel. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters how I feel. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. Fake news. Would it, no, fake news is different. Yeah, the, fake, no, fake news is fake news is different. Fake news is when you, you deliberately misrepresent something to give the a person. Is, is that not what you're doing with post truth? No, post truth is different. So, so why is post truth? This is this is this is the big argument that we've got going on in trans, uh, with trans and women's rights at the moment. This is the, the, the big argument. The thing that is causing a lot of upset in uh, called the trans community for want of a, a better description is a biological truth that it does not matter if you whatever operations that you have uh, if you have gender dysphoria or if you go undergo sex training treatments if you have hormones if you have hormone therapy all those kinds of things you cannot change your biological sex if your chromosomes are XO you are a, um, you are a woman according to your biological sex even if you declare yourself to be male and the issue that we've got now, Ron, is that even though it's absolutely true that if your chromosomes are XO that you are a woman, if you dare to say that, you are in big trouble because somebody who has an XO chromosome but is calling themselves male is saying that's not true because I feel male. That's exactly what's going on with uh, J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is in such, such um, hot water with some, some people because... She dares to say things like a woman has a cervix. Um, it's, so that would, that would be post-truth. So it doesn't really matter what the truth is, it matters how I feel. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, what else have we got? But you, you were close there, Ron, so I'm not... Uh, um, fake news was a word of the year, but it wasn't specifically relevant for this. Um, shortlisted was woke in 2016. Um, echo chamber. Does anyone know what an echo chamber is? We play a lot of music. I'm, I'm feeling really bad today. I'm feeling like I'm some kind of sad individual who looks at all this sociological stuff, and it's not that important. Um, <laughs> what a geek! <laughs> so this is a geek. <laughs> this is a, this is a, 
Well, hopefully not. Hopefully, as we go through this, you, you're going to recognise. You're going to recognise some of these things. Does anyone? What, what, what is what is an echo chamber? Does anyone know? Sort of recorded, <laughs> something that reinforces your view. Yes, yes. It's some an echo an echo chamber is where you you set up a group, uh, you set up a group on Facebook or, or WhatsApp or whatever it is, and you put out a comment on a particular thing, and you get a whole load of likes and people going great comment, and they're all forwarding it on. But the reason that you're getting it is because you're sending it to a group of people who have exactly the same views as you. So all you're doing is you're shouting into this echo chamber, hello, and you get five hellos come back and you think everyone likes you. Yeah, well, this, is, this is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> what, what sort of world are we living in? <laughs> well, look, look, as I said before, about, about, about sociology, right, if what I'm saying is complete rubbish, you will, you will know in your heart of hearts that it's complete rubbish. But if, if what I'm saying is true, or that you can imagine it to be true, or you know it'd be true for somebody else, then... It, it has relevance. I'm just offering it. I'm just offering it out like that. Okay, cancel culture. Does anyone know what that is? Cancel culture. Yeah. Okay. So, Sophia, do you want to have a go? Um, actually, that happens a lot on social media where someone says something which might be seen as controversial, and then they get a lot of hate for it, and they're just cancelled. And yes. Yeah. Spot on. <coughs> Spot on. So, if, if you've got a, a controversial view. Or, or a view that somebody else doesn't like, somebody else will take offence at that view. They will claim that you uh, that it hurts them, um, and because it hurts them, they need to be protected from that view, and that could potentially mean that your platform that you are cancelled, uh, or that you're no platformed. Um, quite often, universities uh, very recently have been no platforming people who have uh, who have different views. And then you may also hear a phrase that we'll, I'll introduce later called trigger warning. So a trigger warning is something that you're supposed to give to somebody who might be offended by the content of something that's coming up, which will then give them the option to, uh, uh, to walk out or to not, not be involved. So at the moment, and I'm, I know that Sophia's at university, I don't want to speak about her university, but generally speaking, at universities, we are not getting... Uh, this kind of uh, differences of opinion where people are coming together and talking, uh, it's really more to do with, uh, you're more likely to be cancelled if someone doesn't agree with you than to be debated with. I hope that's not the case true for you, Sophia, but I don't know. Is, is that not producing a homogenised society? We'll come on to that. <laughs> we'll come on to that, Ron. Yes, you're, you're jumping ahead. I mean, let's go. Okay, so, and this is an important point. Okay, this is important. 2017. So just just see all this stuff that's going on. Okay, this all all this stuff is kind of is me. It's 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 moving the center of attention. The center of gravity is coming towards me, and at the same time we've got this kind of really unholy alliance. At the same time that this is happening, we've also got the UK in 2017 became a secular country. So what does a secular country mean? It means that more people said that they have no faith than said that they did have a faith. Okay, so up, and, up until this is, a, this is basically a Christian culture, uh, the UK, England, but the UK moved from a position where um, the predominant viewpoint was Christian, uh, or faith-based actually, because if you include Muslims and anyone else who would say they had a faith, that would be included. The pendulum went through the middle and out to the secular side. So now in this country, there are more people who say they don't have faith than do. And that happened at the same time as all of this. Haven't got any questions so far? Well, 
I suppose this all relates to this could almost be in, in the way that they're knocking down walls so they're just erasing that and replacing it with this culture that's got no direction. I think it's. It, I mean, it's perfectly. People are perfectly entitled to to move culture in the direction that they want to. I'm not necessarily saying that we don't have people don't have the right to do it. No. I'm just saying that um, we need to be aware of it as Christians, and we've been, we we the, the the need for people to know Jesus has not changed. Uh, no matter if culture has changed, but we need to understand uh, the backdrop uh, in which that we are operating. If you like, the cultural environment is the backdrop or the battlefield of the spiritual battle. We, we need to understand what's going on. Where are we? Okay, so that's a little pendulum in the middle. So uh, as we're moving from a, a kind of faith-based uh, viewpoint to a secular-based viewpoint in our society... Do I, is this going okay? Is, okay. So in a faith-based society, God is the one who decides. Now, it, it doesn't mean that everyone believes in God, but generally speaking, the, the overview, if you like, of, of all the stuff that happens underneath is the kind of, the presupposition that God exists, and in our case, the God of the Bible. So if you look at our laws, you know, our laws are basically set up, or at least they were, say, 100 years ago, very much in line with God's moral law in the Bible. And people lived uh, with a number of expectations which would be consistent with the Bible, even if they didn't necessarily uh, proclaim to be Christian. But the, the environment was a Christian one, generally speaking. So, God decides right and wrong. God decides good and evil. Uh, God decides truth. And there, there is absolute truth. Remember, Jesus made the claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, that's John 14, 6. And then sacred things, holy things, relate to God. Relate to, to God's identity. So you wouldn't, 100 years ago, if you said sacred or holy, it wouldn't be related to me. It would be, it would be relating to God. There wouldn't be any question about that. This is an interesting one. When you have this kind of um, uh, Christian view that sort of uh, is the overarching view of your society... There's a general unease about that there's a judgment to come. There's a general unease about somebody might be watching what you're doing. Um, and we live in a culture now where it's pretty clear that people aren't, are not living any kind of life thinking that somebody might be watching what they're doing. They just don't want to get caught. You see, how many times you see somebody on television apologising for something they've done? Look, look at the government, just at the last apologising for any number, of, uh, any number of parties or something that they had. They're not genuinely sorry. They're sorry they got caught. That's right. yes. they're not, they don't have a concern that somebody actually might be watching what they're doing, that at some point in the future after we die, that what we do here on earth, we, we, somehow there's, we're going to be held to account. Um, what was that, that programme we watched? Westworld. Has anyone ever seen Westworld? The movie, yeah. Not, not the movie, no. There's a series based on the movie, Ron. You've seen it, Paul. Absolutely brilliant about what people. It, it looked at morality. It looked at values. It looked at what people thought you could do if you could get away with it. All of those god, big god existential questions. If you, if you get a chance to watch a series Westworld, look at it and watch it in the context of the Bible. Okay. So identity, meaning, purpose, and value 
are given by and found in God. Okay? In, in fact, even if they weren't necessarily... This would be, this would be one of the overlying views. But in society's past, there would also be an, an, an overlying view that meaning, identity, purpose and value came from God, yes, but you might not necessarily have, have believed in God, even if it was the, the overarching. But the, the meaning, identity, purpose and value was given to you by your society. So in other words, your worth in society was given to you because, you know, I was the son of a carpenter and I'm a carpenter and I add value to community, therefore I have value as a carpenter. Or I, um, you know, I, my role in society has a value which is given to me by society. Okay, so in other words, um, in times past, your meaning, purpose and value were given to you by someone else, whether that someone is God or whether that's someone um, uh, in, your, in your town, uh, the value add that you were making to your, either your family or to uh, the people who lived around you. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I love this verse. Love these verses. Because I'm shout out a page when they get them. We spend loads of time doing this kind of God's got a plan for your life and you know, all this, all this sort, sort of stuff. And it's almost like we want God to show us what he's got in store for us. If you want to know what your meaning, purpose and value is, or at least meaning and purpose, here it is in 1 Colossians chapter... Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And the page? 1182. 1182. One one eight two Colossians one, one verses fifteen and sixteen. Okay. If you're ever wondering why you're here, if you're ever wondering the purpose of your life, if ever you're wondering, it's, it, it, the answer is so simple. We don't actually want to hear it because it's so simple. <laughs> okay. Uh, can somebody read those two verses, please? Oh, well, uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created through him and for him. We, we are being made for God. The, well, the, they were saying that we, not have, we have a God in us if, for the moral aspect of our life. That when we do something immoral, we realise that is, and that we should stop it. I think uh, there were two things. I, I think it, there's, there's this kind of argument that both to both sides, which is that we have this search for meaning, purpose, and value because meaning outside of ourselves, because it does exist outside of ourselves, and we can only find that in God. Now, of course, the atheists will say that the reason that we um, uh, we, we have invented God is to give ourselves meaning and purpose and value. So there's two, two sides to the argument. But it's not that we have God in, inside us unless we invite him in. But uh, the, the, the Christian argument would be is that the reason that we seek meaning, purpose and value is because that's, it can only really be filled by God. I try not to use, it's become a big cliche, a God-shaped hole. Uh, 
sort of trying, trying not to use that. So, um, but what this verse says is that ultimately the purpose of us being on here is we've made for God. To be in a relationship with God and to reflect his glory. Um, if you want to put it simpler, we're here to know God and make him known. Uh, and I think, it, for me, it's really that simple. What God's plan for my life is, I don't know. I just, I, whatever it is, I, I want to live for him and, and give him glory in, in my life. It's, it, we want more, don't we? We want to know all the detail. Um, okay. Um, what else have we got? Rights. Rights are given to us by God who made us. Okay, this concept of human rights. Where does the concept, where does the idea of, of human rights, if, if evolution is true, just the unguided evolution is true and there is no God, where does, where does the idea of human rights come from? Why are we, why are we more special than any other animal? Um, sorry? Uh, perfect, both of you are right. Let's go to that. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Must be, I'm, feeling a bit odd, I'm feeling a bit odd doing this talk. I feel, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if it's... <laughs> it's not a classic Bible talk, is it? Uh, anyway. You're exploring out beyond it. Um, and this is the template. But I'm just wondering whether I'm making it... Ex- ex- whether I'm, it's, it's interesting or you're following it or whether it's just a, a hobby it's, of mine. It's a different view. It's just, it's just a rabbit hole I've gone down and there's only me in it. <laughs> It's interesting, but I've never really thought about it before. So it's like, right. You, know, you put all sorts in my mind, so I can. Okay, good. I mean, if if it makes if it one makes one inch of difference in in helping you to navigate the world in which we're living, and be more bring more glory to the Lord because of it, then it's worth it. Anybody know the number? Yeah, page one. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really wrong? Is it page? Page one. Page three. Genesis chapter. Yes, Genesis. Genesis chapter. Trouble is, there's no page three. Genesis chapter one. So it's the very first book, Pauline. Yeah. Genesis chapter one. Okay. I think it's a lot of new concepts. That's the thing. So it's lots of. Yeah, I'm not. I think that's more probably about feeling the vibe. Yeah, I normally, I normally get, I normally, when I, when you teach, that you normally get the vibe from the room, and um. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily getting the vibe from the room from, from, from the room today. Anyway, I'm. I think the fact you're leading to this um, putting yourself, making God, making ourselves God, which is where a lot of this is sort of edging towards, I think is a very powerful description. Yes. In fact, it's even going, as you'll see later, it's going one step further. Not, am I, not only am I trying to lead you to a worldview which wants to make yourself God, I'm going to lead you to a worldview which is creating new religions. But, but we'll, 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 come, we'll come on to that. As I said, there's two things. Okay, so somebody read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, please. Um, yeah, I'll do it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, great, thanks. We have, 
our human rights come from that we are all in some way image bearers of our maker. Okay, and then the final one. Um, in this faith-based society, God's opinion is the one that counts. We should agree with God. So now let's go across the other side, secular society. We decide right and wrong. There's a problem when, when we decide right and wrong. You see, when you've got, and I know some of you have heard me talk about this before, it's this idea of, a, of an ontic reference point or an ontic referent. And an ontic referent is an objective thing by which we can measure other things. So, for example, let's take me, uh, this lectern, and that there. Okay? Without a reference point, all you could say probably was Carl is you know, a certain percentage bigger than the lectern, and the lectern is much bigger than that. But it would be difficult, wouldn't it, if we went halfway across the world to try and make this description and have it mean anything to anybody. But if I get my ruler out, and I say, you know, Carl is 1.84 metres or wherever it is, and, you know, this lectern is a certain amount, and that is a certain amount, we, we can all in our mind's eye can imagine how big things are, can't we? Because we've got a, we've got a reference point, which is the ruler. That's the ontic reference point. So when you have an ontic reference point for right and wrong, for good and evil, for truth, you have an, a point that's outside of ourselves that we're using. If we have used ourselves as the reference point, so now we have, um, so Paul and I are deciding what's right and wrong. Paul's definition of right and wrong could be completely different from mine. I mean, if, if Paul. If in Paul's world he decided it was completely right to eat Pauline who was sat next to him, and I thought it was wrong for Paul to eat Pauline who was sat right next to him, eat her. Yes. Let's supposing that yeah, Paul decided that I want to be a cannibal and, uh, and Pauline looks like a nice meal. Um, and in his, his, uh, his moral world, um, he, he thinks it's okay to eat Pauline. I think Paul is completely wrong. Who's to say which of us is right? Well, you'd vote, you? Yeah, you, I know which way you'd vote, Pauline. <laughs> you'd be with me, right? But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? When, when we are deciding, when we are individually deciding what's right and wrong, who is to say ultimately who's right? We're going to have different viewpoints, aren't we, about what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Yeah, we, we, we are kind of making ourselves good. Does anyone know the difference, by the way, between right and wrong and good and evil? Right and wrong is, is a, a description of what you ought to do. So in any given, say, any given situation, let's supposing that uh, you know, I walk over here and I trip over this and I fall flat on my face and I'm badly hurt. You would probably say, all of you or most of you would say, the right thing to do would be to try and help me or to call for some help. Yeah, so it, it's a reflection of what you ought to do. And if you didn't do that, that would probably be described as wrong. Okay, so right and wrong are this idea of what you ought to do. Good and evil are um, judgments on that decision. So I've, I've fallen over, I've badly hurt myself, Paul's got up to help me. We've decided that Paul's done the right thing. And um, getting uh, someone to help me would be described as good. 
So it would be described as an outcome of, uh, of, of a decision, if that makes sense. Um, okay, so then we've got truth. Truth is now my truth, my lived experience. We've now, we're now living in a world where actors and authors are struggling with whether or not they're able to write a story about something that's not their lived experience. So we're having issues with somebody writing a story about a refugee where people who have been refugees are starting to complain, how can you write a story about a refugee when you've never been a refugee? Or, uh, you know, a white person writing from a black person's point of view or a black person writing from a white person's point of view, the question is now becoming, how can you do that since it's not your lived experience? Uh, similarly, we've got people who are acting, you, you know, they've got this big issue at the moment, it was, you know, should only gay people um, have gay parts? Um, is it wrong to have a straight person play a gay role or a non-disabled person be, you know, etc., etc.? That's where we're going in terms of our world. Okay, so sacred and holy things relate to us. So now, the most holy thing in a world where there is no God is my identity. Facebook? Not so much. No, it's, it, that, is, that, that, that could be the way that you choose to represent yourself, but your identity is the way that you describe yourself. So there would be the most important, the integral part of you. So some people would describe themselves by their sexuality, some people would describe themselves by their gender, some people, however you describe yourself, unless, interestingly, it's faith-based, that is the most important thing. And, 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 and so rights are then starting to, to relate to my identity. And it doesn't really matter if I take them away from you. So we've got this issue at the moment with, with trans and women's rights, okay? So in order, for me to have a, if in order for me to be able to walk into a woman's toilet because I've declared myself to be a woman, a woman has now got to have me in their environment or me in their changing room. And so although I've claimed more rights for myself, you could argue that a woman has got less rights because I'm now in their changing room. Do you see what I mean? Um, but it doesn't matter to me that they've got less rights because I've got what I think I deserve. And that's what's happening. No fear of judgment to come in a world where there's no God. It's consistent. Identity meaning purpose and value are given to ourselves. And I think, I think one of the reasons that this world is struggling right now is because all of us are trying to give ourselves self-esteem somehow. Maybe that's through a projection of ourselves on Facebook or, or, or online or we're trying to, to get likes. We're trying to you know, get our, ourselves self-esteem. There's so many different classes that you can go to, to, you know, to talk about increasing your self-worth. Really, I think you can only get self-esteem from someone who is themselves esteemed. If someone who is esteemed esteems you, that's when you really feel esteemed. And you can only really find... There is no one who is more esteemed than God. And if God has a value on us, my self-esteem, I don't need to to increase my own self-esteem. I have esteem from the one who is esteemed. Sorry. Um, okay. Um, so we give ourselves rights, even at the expense of others, and demand new ones um, are created, even at a cost of others. I was trying to think, what, what was the right that's... Oh, yes. The, the, people are claiming that there is a right, 
universal human right not to be offended. There is no human right that's written down that you, that, 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 um, you can't be offended. But people are claiming that it's a right. They're claiming that I have a, I have a right not to be offended. Um, therefore, if you say something I disagree with, I could consider it to be hate speech. Say. And I, you can be no-platformed and cancelled. Okay, and then finally, our opinion is the one that counts. God should agree with us. Okay? We want God to approve our lifestyle. You know, in a world where there is no God, the secular society will allow you to have a God as long as God agrees with what they're doing. Okay? And then we've got a whole load of phrases that you may have heard that... uh, are reflective of our society today. I'm happy to go through them individually or if there's anything that you particularly uh, want to know what it means, I'm happy to have a go. This is quite an interesting one, personal pronouns. Now, personal pronouns for trans people. Um, you've got, um, so if, for example, if I am a biological man, but if I declared myself to be a woman, female, um, then uh, I might ask you to address me as Zir or something instead of he or she. I think Sam Smith the singer's done that. Yes. They now. They. They is the most. They is the most common one. And so the 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 issue then becomes, um, if somebody <laughs> wishes to be called a different personal pronoun other than he she, do you have to use it if if they if they want you to, which comes into this issue of compelled speech. Where is it? <coughs> Over there, compelled speech. In Canada, for example, if you're working for the government and I say I wanted to be addressed as they, so I, I tell everybody that I don't want you to call me he or him, I want you to call me they. If you work in the government in Canada, you have to use the person's preferred personal pronoun and there's been a big uproar about that because um, some people are saying that's compelled speech. You are telling me what I have to say. Um, so what else have we got up here? Is there anything you want to? Anything you want explanation of? It's uh, unconscious bias. Oh, unconscious bias. This is a big one. Well, I, I, maybe I'm living. Maybe I'm moving in a very small circle. Uh, what's a snowflake? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, unconscious bias. Unconscious bias is. is um, I'm actually slightly worried. I'm ever so, ever so slightly worried because there are an awful lot of changes that are happening that you guys don't realise. And if you don't have a view and add your voice, there is legislation is going to be in before you know it. I, I don't think I'm leading edge here. I may be leading edge in this room, but I'm not... I don't think I'm leading edge with what's going on in the, in the real world out there and legislation that is coming very, very quickly. Okay, so unconscious bias. Unconscious bias is related to something called um, critical race theory. Has anyone heard about critical race theory? Okay. Critical... We all have to the loop, aren't we? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it saddens me. Because you, it saddens me because you are, great, you are great people who should be in the loop. We, 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 have, a, we have a lot of work on unconscious bias in the finance industry, because we've recently been doing stuff with AI. Yeah. It shows that lending decisions 
to two completely equivalent people, completely same credit score, yeah. will favour a white person. Yes, that's the, that's the kind of... And, you know, and people, and, and, and they're built into the system. Yes, so... And they're built into us as well. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's, Paul's touching on it. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's, that's, I'm not so sure about the last part. I might, I might argue on that. But, um, so unconscious bias is partly related to this idea which is called critical race theory. And critical race theory, um, there is a big hoo-ha in the US about this because it has been taught in some schools and there is a massive backlash going on uh, against critical race theory uh, in the US and it's been unwritten from some curricula. Critical race theory is the idea that um, in societies that are predominantly white, um, there is a um, the the system is inherently stacked. The whole system is corrupt and is stacked in favour of white people. And white people, whether they know it or not, are also in the same way indoctrinated with this idea of unconscious bias. And because the, the way that, that the society is set up as institutionally racist, all institutions are corrupt and need to be started again, and that this um, corruption has even polluted things like value, morals, reason. So you will find articles online that argue that maths is racist. And I'm not joking. Um, so this is... The, an unconscious bias is there is a kind of move in some so-called progressive companies and in some um, public institutions which make you do a course which reveals your unconscious bias. Um, now, whether... This is not... The results of the course have not been shown to have any um, statistical um, meaning... But it's very difficult to prove that you don't have an unconscious bias, isn't it? Yeah. And you, you may well have that without you knowing. So that's where it, that's where it comes from. And you know, unconscious bias is also kind of related a little bit to privilege. So in a sense, in, this, in the world that we're living in, what people are trying to create is an oppressed group and an oppressor. And... Uh, so, for example, I am a middle-aged white man. Well, I'm not actually. Um, I'm mixed race. But let's, let's say, for example, I was middle-aged and, and white, also middle class. Um, I would have a number of privileges which I would then have to own up to. And I could potentially be an oppressor as a man because you're a woman. For, for, all, the women, for all the women in the room, I'm an oppressor. So um, I would be the oppressor and you would be the oppressed. Um, if there were any coloured people in the room, I would be the oppressor, they would be the oppressed. If there were any poor people in the room, I would be the oppressor, they would be oppressed. So I don't, I don't score very highly on this. Uh, I forget there's a name for it, actually. Um, this kind of uh, structured groups where there's, each group has a ranking and, um, uh, and each particular group would, have, would score more highly. So, for example, if there's a job vacancy uh, and there was a man and a woman, the woman would get it because she's in an oppressed group. But if there was a black woman, then she would get it because she's in a bigger oppressed group. If there was a black lesbian woman, she would get it, and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's... Oh, a can, can be a, a oppressed 
have an unconscious bias though to the oppressor so can they could they make assumptions of the oppressor so making assumptions mm. that a white person is racist or uh, um, a male is um, you know, misogynist the way it tends to work is there really tends to be only a one-way, only a one-way thing. It's a bit like if you take misogyny, for example, it, none of you knew the word for um, I mean, and Pam, and I'm sure you're not the only one. Didn't even think a word existed for women hating men, and there are women who hate men. And, you know, when we, when we did the, when the government was talking about making misogyny a crime, if you wanted to do it the right way, you'd also make misandry a crime, wouldn't you? Yes. But no one, no one said anything about that. It's like it's a one-way street. It's a one-way street. If you are the, the bigger uh, group of, you, you can't be a minority, in, in a sense. You, yes, you've got to join the majority. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of come on to that, yeah, but you, you're right, Ron. So what other, what other stuff have we got? Um, what was the other question someone asked? Oh, Snowflake. You said oh, Snowflake. Yeah, Snowflake is, is uh, typically uh, is, is often used to describe a young person between the age of 20 and 30 whose views are so fragile uh, that if they're challenged, they will get upset and wilt away like a, snow, like a snowflake. I think it's one of the most terribly... Inappropriate words. It's not a great. It's not a very helpful. Because yeah, you know, the average youngster actually, the average person in that age group, I find very often has a lot firmer, stronger views, and they're better informed. Yeah. Than people are accusing them of being fragile. Yes. So the opposite to snowflake is boomer. Okay. So that's that's a that's baby boomer. I don't know if it was used. I think it was used in the House of Parliament. Someone said, "Okay, boomer," uh, which is people someone like me. It's it's a put down term for someone who's uh, kind of out of touch, uh, old and out of touch, whose views are irrelevant. I mean, all these words are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, um, they have some uh, meaning and some sort of basis, but a lot, a lot of them you, you could actually throw out the window. Um, in society, everything that's out there is spoken about, one way or the other, whatever circle you're in. Yeah, but you perhaps might not have been as aware of some of these words. That, that these are words, you pick up a newspaper and you read, you will see these words on a, I read the Scottish Times, I get the Times online, I read the Scottish Times, Scotland is quite a long way ahead of where we are, so if, if you think that things are potentially not going in a good direction here, they're going in a, in a very strongly different direction in Scotland. They're very liberal. Um, is, is there anything else on there before I... Uh, as a society, we've allowed this to happen, haven't we? Well, it's fine. I mean, I, I don't. I, we can't complain about what society. Society, as a as a group, we can choose to go in whichever direction that we yeah. want to go. Um, as Christians, we just have to be aware of what's going on around us and the extent to which it might contaminate us. It might um, be used by the devil to seduce us. Um, and if we are serious about sharing our faith, we've got to be up to with what's going on. Because people, there are people out there who have, the, have these views. Um, I, I'm not complaining about the direction that society chooses to go. It's, it's people can choose their... We live in a world where God has given us free choice and we have self-determination about uh, what we decide to do. But it doesn't change the truth uh, and it doesn't change the relevancy of the message, but we've got to be aware of what's going on. Yes, it can be clouded, can't it? It can be misrepresented. 
Always. And you should be aware of it. Why all of this? Yeah, all of this is leading in a particular direction uh, as as, uh, this particular worldview is fighting for dominance. So... I'm beginning to re- I regret I did this because this is quite this is a little bit of this does quite a little bit little bit of thought. Um, what's happening now around us is that we're getting the birth of new religions. And why am I saying that? Okay. People make a mistake, in my opinion, of saying that religion has to do with God. Religion doesn't really have to do with God. There are a number of different things that that you could describe a religion. A religion ultimately, in, at one level, is this kind of pursuit of righteousness. It's this kind of, um, you do something good in order to get rewarded. Okay? Christianity is the only one of the major religions and the new religion that at its heart is not a religion. So a classic religion... Let me just let me just run this through. Look at the middle line. Okay. It, it, the top heading is the right and wrong reference. So what are we using to what is the yardstick for right and wrong in these different scenarios? We've ne- next got the convincer of wrong. So who is it or what is it that's telling you that something's wrong? We've then got this idea of salvation. What's going to save you from that thing that's wrong? The result of the salvation. And then your righteous state at the end of it. Okay? The middle one is a classic religion. Okay? In a classic religion, so if we take, uh, if we take um, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, for example, um, they would be classic religions. In classic religion, the, the right and wrong reference would be some kind of scripture. In the Jew- for the Jews, it would be the Old Testament, for it would be the Quran or the Vedas if you're, or if you're Hindu. So that would be the reference point for right and wrong. The, con- the convincer of wrong is in almost always yourself. You know what it says, what's written, and you've got an idea that you have or haven't done as well as what it is that you're supposed to have done, and so you kind of chivvy yourself along or someone reminds you, but essentially it's you. You then try to get the scales in balance. So in, um, in Islam, the, the angel has the scales, and the good deeds and the bad deeds are on each side of the scale, and if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, uh, then Allah may, may, only may, let you into heaven. Okay? So in, 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 I guess if you are Muslim, a whole of your life, you're a little bit worried about the, your scales. And so when you do a little, some bad stuff, you probably want to do a, a couple of good things to try to make sure that the scales goes back into a good place, okay? So good works is, is what you're doing to try to get yourself reward. If you are a Buddhist or Hindu and you believe in reincarnation and your, the idea is karma, where the, uh, your good deeds, your bad deeds are, are kind of attributed some kind of karma and they've got this balance of karma and if you've got more good karma than bad karma then in the next life when you're reincarnated you might come back as a higher thing or you might come back as a lower thing. But in, in a sense, it's, it's this good works. It's, uh, you, don't, you don't really know where the, where the, where the thing is. And, and in the uh, case of Islam, you might be admitted to heaven and you might come back in a higher form. Okay? But in other words, it's you. You're, you're chipping yourself along to do some good works for which you will be rewarded. Yeah? 
And then uh, the outcome is your state of righteousness is you want to be in an acceptable state of righteousness. You, you might not know exactly what it is, but you want to be at that point so that everything will be okay for you. Okay? So classic religion is you do something, you get something. I do something good, God owes me something. Okay? Or, or karma, or life force, whatever, owes me something. That is a classic religion. Christianity at the top is 100% not a religion. Because there's absolutely nothing you can do that would make God owe you anything. Nothing. You cannot do any good works that make God owe you anything. In Christianity, it's the opposite. We cannot do anything to earn anything. We can, the one, the perfect one, did it all. So that we can have everything. Uh, I, what does the, the song say? I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you gave yourself away. Christianity is not a religion. You cannot earn anything. And so, it's, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit is the one who, who points out that there's wrong in our life. We get salvation. We get saved through the work of Jesus, not through our own work. We're forgiven and we're set free. We're running out of time to be able to do these verses, but you know, who the sun sets free is free indeed. There's no condemnation. Um, uh, he's both been just to forgive our sins if we confess them. And then, in terms of our righteous state as a Christian, at the end of it, we have no righteousness, no, perf- no personal righteousness other than the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Someone who is really a Christian doesn't think they're better than anyone else, and sorry my group, you've heard me say this before, they know for sure they're not. If you genuinely understand Christianity, you, you think you've got individual personal righteousness, that you're somehow better than someone else, you haven't understood what it is you've received. So, so this is the classic religion. What's happening today then? We're giving ourselves. We're, well, all of these. Yeah, we're creating. We're creating this self-same thing. So that we're creating a new religion, which looks like this little one. Mm. Only, it, it, in fact, it looks quite a lot like Christianity when I come onto it. So, a new religion, critical race theory, for example, would be uh, or social justice. And these are God things, by the way, and these are good things, but not when they become a new religion. So these are, this is a man-devised ideology. That's the benchmark, the right and wrong reference. And the, the convictor of your wrong is somebody else who is trying to point out to you your unconscious bias or your privilege. Okay? For which you need to atone... Uh, and self-based. So you need to go into some kind of shame period. So what in this new religion, what people are trying to do is they're sh- trying to shame you. So they'll be trying to shame me into being uh, a- admitting that I was a racist because of my own unconscious bias or to try to uh, get me to acknowledge that I was a misogynist or get me to acknowledge that whatever it was, they would be looking to try to uh, shame me and I would have to publicly self-abase myself in order to have any kind of redemption. What happens next? You may or may not be forgiven. I don't know if, I don't know if you've seen this that in, the, in the press. You've seen this a lot. You would have seen this lots of times if you've been looking out for it. Somebody at some point in their past, when they were a teenager, has put something on Facebook or on Twitter and someone has found it. And it's been completely out of kilter with what you're supposed to say today. And that person has been pilloried. 
in terms of they may have lost their job, they may have been shamed on social media, they may or may not have been forgiven. So even if you go through all this, you might not be forgiven. And this is another thing which is really completely anti-biblical. So firstly, in the Bible you're forgiven. At the cross of Jesus, you will be forgiven. Here you may, you may not be forgiven, but it's similar, you see. Others are taking the role of the Holy Spirit. You've got this kind of repentance to get to the other side. But when you get to the other side, there's no assurance that you've been forgiven. And you, you'll see this definitely in critical race theory. We are responsible for the sins of the Father. So, ironically, perhaps using me is not a good example because... Um, I'm, I'm one-eighth black Caribbean and, and my ancestors were slaves. But let's supposing, let's supposing that I was completely white. Um, uh, under this new religion, I'm responsible for what um, white, my white forebears did as slave traders and I can't be forgiven. I'm responsible for the sins of the Father. In the Bible, the Bible tells us that we are not responsible for the sins of the Father. I'm just trying to see where, where that is. Yeah, in, in Ezekiel. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent. Nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. Ephesians, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Um, so, and then, and the final position is one of self-righteousness. So what you'll see coming into some of these ideologies today, it's almost like it feels like it's a religion. It feels like we're somehow back in the 15th century, where everyone has got to conform, and whoever doesn't conform is out. Don't get me wrong, Christianity has been used as a religion, and I would never defend religion. Christianity has done some, some awful things in the name of God, acting as a religion. But Christianity as its core is not a religion. And it's not a religion because we can't do anything to, to earn. When Christianity starts to behave like you need to do something to get something from God, that's when it becomes a religion. And that's when it, it loses touch with what it says in the Bible. I've got ten minutes to go. Okay. It's just some questions for you to finish. This is an interesting one. You quite often hear today that somehow... God is um, out of touch with culture. That the Bible is uh, not relevant today. That if God was around today, things would be different because somehow you know we're more sophisticated, or you know we're kind of we're, our insights and views are more profound, uh, and the way that we look after each other is much more um, much more worth paying heed to. Let's look at Leviticus chapter eighteen, verse thirty. I'm coming to the end, and I will be uh, I will be on time. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 30. 121. 121, page 121. Now it's interesting that God didn't actually give his formal law um, until about 1450 BC. Sort of cultural practices going on, uh, cultural practices going on in the countries around the Israelites that they were moving into. So the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all of the, the people who were living in the land that the Israelites went into had a culture. 
And so the question that we should ask ourselves then is, is that into this culture, do we think that God had a look at that culture and said, um, do you know what, I think I ought to drop my moral law into this culture and be on point. I ought to, ought to be looking at I ought to be looking at where people are right now and making sure that I'm up to date uh, with the latest sophisticated ideas or that I should drop my moral law in here and be on the right side of history. I don't think God thought about any of those things. Um, and interestingly, I don't think that the culture that he dropped his moral law into was much different than one today. So if you look at Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 18 is a whole, is a whole section about sexual behaviour how we should uh, relate to each other sexually. And if you were to, to read that chapter, lots of things that the Bible describes as happening with regard to expressions of our sexuality uh, were, are happening today. And into a society in terms of its sexual behaviour that is similar to one of today, God says this in the Leviticus chapter 18, verse 30. What does it say? Somebody read that, please. Leviticus 18.30. Keep no requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Okay. God's saying all that sexual stuff that I've just described, told you not to do, they're already doing here. It's not like God checked to see whether he was okay, whether they were going to agree with what he said. He dropped his moral law in because his moral law is independent of culture. And, and the culture that he dropped his moral law into is very similar to the culture today. Question two. Okay, so this is for you guys. And you, can, you can participate or not if you want. Um, in what ways might today's culture have affected the way that you've been thinking, your personal walk with God, or the way that you interact with family, friends? You might not have been aware of it till today, actually. Potentially. Well, we may have already been thinking on the right side of what that statement is, but perhaps not all the way. You see what I mean? You know, walking the 50-50 line, uh, indecisive as to which way you're going to go, but there are, up there is a positive, uh, positive <laughs> acts that we would normally if we are any shape, way or form have a faith, that we would do the right thing with all of those, with our work colleagues, our friends and our family, and our own personal work with God. So I personally have never found that until recently. Uh, until recently I, I didn't walk with God at all. I I walked my own my own way as it were, but I still had a uh, feeling uh, that it's important to do all those things that are up there. You know, working with friends, work colleagues, family, and, and giving them as much as I can to help them in any way, shape, form that I could. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you might not have thought about necessarily, overly thought about. Um, but the, the thing with culture is it just kind of it's like you've very slowly been injected with it to the point where you perhaps haven't noticed that you've changed 
or it hasn't noticed that it's affected your thinking. Um, it's when culture starts to affect you. This culture, you'll start looking at the Bible and you'll start going, "I wouldn't have done that," or "I don't agree with that," because the devil wants you to have a have a super high put a super high value on your own opinion. And that's what culture will do. It will lead you off very slowly. So, so I haven't got, unfortunately, I'm going to finish at half past because I always say I do. And if anyone wants to ask questions afterwards, um, you can. Next to, uh, <laughs> in what ways might you value your own opinion or the opinion of culture more highly than, than that of what God's got to say? I think probably the biggest issue for the church today I've found is the area of sexuality where there's a big difference, a big clash between what culture thinks is acceptable and, and what the Bible says. And I think the church actually hasn't helped itself with the way that it's dealt with it. I think, I think there's, we can deal with things in, in, in a much better way, in a much more informed way, in a much more loving way, and still share the truth. Um, in what way has today's culture influenced the church? Well, that, that's a long one. I generally think that's a long one. Um, I think the biggest way that the culture has affected the church for me is that it's led to the creation of what I'd describe as fluffy church. So we, we're in a, in, a, in a fluffy church where we don't want to upset anybody um, and therefore the last thing you want to do in this culture is talk about absolutes. You don't want to talk about sin, judgment, hell. Th those are the things that you just don't talk about in church today because you don't want to put anybody off or you don't want to offend them. Uh, in doing so, you're just simply not telling them the truth. And for me, that means you don't, you don't care. Either you don't believe that it's true, or you don't care. And that's what's happening to the, to the church today, I think. It's just been drifted off into this kind of place where, unfortunately, instead of being salt and light, it's just, it's just a piece of candy floss on a stick that somebody can come and uh, potentially consume or not. In, in a world that's full of candy floss on stick. Um, I think the more that we speak the truth in love, I've been saying this to Malcolm for ages, if churches that preach the full gospel, in my opinion, are, are the ones that five to ten years from now will be growing and it will be massively countercultural. No one would be expecting that to happen, but I think that's what will happen. Anyway, I unfortunately we didn't have time for you to answer those questions. I was uh, put a few thoughts in. Um, that's it. And the final question for you to think about, really, is what, if anything, will you do differently with greater cultural awareness, given what we were talking about at the beginning? So that's it. I finished. I'm just going to close in prayer. Thank you all for staying with me. I felt, it's felt a bit of a lonely place up here, to be honest, uh, <laughs> which is kind of, kind, of a, kind of a bit unusual for me, not to feel like connected to the audience. Uh, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it, it's a subject matter. But I, all, I'm, all I'm saying to you guys is, look, you think that I'm out there. This is going on. Legislation is, is moving in the direction that I've just spoken about on board and, then, and if, uh, on the board. And if we don't wake up and realise what's going on around us, things will change and, and they won't go back. Um, um, but anyway, let's all get ourselves to a position where we can realise what's going on uh, and that we can uh, lead people to Jesus despite the culture and we can aware of the dangers that it, it, it can be to us by somehow getting under our skin and changing our thinking, albeit in very subtle ways. So I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, today's session, Lord, and I pray it would have been of some value. 
uh, as we um, begin to think about um, culture and the way that things are changing. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a passion for the loss, whatever the culture is, whether it changes from here or whether it stays the same or whatever direction it goes for, goes uh, in, that you would continue to give us a passion to, uh, to share the gospel. But help us to do it with awareness of what's going on around us uh, and never be afraid to speak the truth in love. We ask this in your name. Amen.